And uh, that, uh, that's something that, uh, it's something that's much more important than you, than you realize. It's something that's much more important than, uh, than you know. In the Bible, uh, authorities are a, are a way that we get to, to practice what we say that we believe, the way that we relate to authorities. Uh, because God says he's put authorities in our life, and he put them there, and the respect that we have for that authority is a measure of our respect for God. And so uh, we can't, uh, again, we can't see God. He's a spirit. He's in heaven. Uh, but we can see people that God said, these people represent me. And God says the way that you treat those people is a measure of what you think about me. Well, that's pretty scary. Because there's a little bit of the rebel in all of our hearts. And uh, so we want to unpack that a little bit. Just a reminder of where we're at in the story here. Peter says that, again, we're refined through trials. I'm going to talk uh, again uh, tomorrow, again, a little bit more about suffering. And he speaks of the motivation of this great redemption of Christ. That we're in, in light of this, the gratitude that flows out of this uh, great redemption is to uh, lead us to, to live a godly life. And that uh, that's going to be hard because we're living as aliens in this world. And uh, so we're going to be challenged in that. What does it mean to live a life as an alien, as a, as a pilgrim? Because we're on that journey to that final place. And so this is uh, that pilgrim idea uh, is an idea that comes throughout the whole of the Bible. Uh, that we have been, um, in the Bible, the metaphor of, of Israel being in bondage in Egypt and being uh, delivered out of that and wandering and coming into the promised land, basically that's your story. Uh, that's, that's every Christian's story. The story of being in bondage to sin and bondage to Satan, that uh, God sends his deliverer, his, his, his Moses named Jesus, to deliver you from your sins, and that then he leads you by his spirit, the cloud and the fire, through the wilderness of this life until you finally get to the promised land. The promised land is the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, this is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the place that God has for you. And so this is your story. You are a pilgrim uh, in this life. So that's the context. Um, and now we come to uh, today's text. And before we do that, let's just have a, a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your kindness and mercy to us in Christ. Uh, we praise you for the great hope that we have uh, in the gospel. And Father, we pray that as we come before topics that are challenging to us, that you would uh, speak to us clearly through your word and apply your word by your spirit, and that you would make us receptive by your spirit. Uh, Father, give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Um, I mentioned that I was a teacher, uh, and uh, actually, before I was a teacher, I was a student, and uh, I was actually a student and teacher at the same place, which was kind of unusual. I graduated from a high school, went to college, and I came back and did my student teaching in that same high school, then actually got a job in that same high school. And uh, just imagine that for a moment. Just pause to imagine that. Have you imagined? You're not even trying. You're sleepy. Come on, imagine that. Well, you know, I'm walking down the hallway, and so I'm saying hello to, these were my teachers. And now 
I'm a teacher with them. And so you're walking down the hall, and hello, Mr. Dupuy. And, uh, and so he stops me in the hallway. Stu, it's not Mr. Dupuy anymore. It's Frank. Call me Frank. <laughs> okay, Frank. <laughs> That's just weird. I can't do that. I can't do that. And so I'm, I'm in this adjustment period trying to figure out what it is like to be a teacher. I'm no longer the under-authority. Now I am the authority. And uh, I'm trying to relate to people who were all my authorities. And now they're my, my peers. Uh, but the weirdest moment of all was when I got to use the teacher's lounge. <laughs> now, that was truly weird. Uh, because, you know, I mean, as a student, I went everywhere in the school. You go everywhere. And uh, I spent a lot of time in the office making friends with the office ladies. <laughs> because, by the way, politically, that's just the smartest thing to do. Because I'll guarantee you, and you're like, this is, this is no extra charge. This is not a part of the message. <laughs> there, there's going to be a time in your life when you need the office lady. And if you come in there and build a relationship with the office lady, and they know your name, and, they, and you kind of in inquire about them and care about them, it will pay off. Just put it in the bank. Get to know the office ladies. That's where the power is in the school. Forget the principals. Forget the teachers. Know the office ladies. Okay, back to the main story. So, uh, you know, I'm in the teacher. You always kind of wonder, what goes on in the teacher's lounge? Don't you wonder that? I mean, what kind of mysteries are behind the doors of the teacher's lounge? What kind of special extravagances do they have for the teachers in the teacher's lounge? Uh, well, they had a pop machine. That was kind of cool back then, back in the 80s. Uh, teachers back then could smoke in the teacher's lounge. They can't do that anymore. Uh, but I found out the number, you know, the number one thing that happens in the teacher's lounge? We talk about you. <laughs> that is not a joke. That's the truth. We, we talk about you. And teachers get in there, and they start crabbing, and they start telling stories, and they start talking about the students, and, and we really do. We talk about you. Uh, and, and so it, it's really weird to be on the opposite side of that. Uh, now the authority, now the one who is in control, who's in the driver's seat, who can walk behind those golden doors and use the pot machine. That's what it means to be an authority, right? Well... Actually, I found out that being an authority is, is kind of hard sometimes as a teacher as well, and there are hard parts to that, uh, like hall monitoring. Who really wants to hall monitor? Like breaking up fights. Uh, breaking up fights is not a lot of fun. Actually, the little old lady English teacher across the hallway from me was much better at breaking up fights. I asked her what her secret was at breaking up fights. She said, oh, I just figured no one would hit a little old lady. <laughs> And, you know, no one ever did hit her. <laughs> Mrs. Kinney would just jump right in the middle and say, what is this all about? Now, you boys quit. And they did. <laughs> that was it. They, was, they respected Mrs. Kinney. I don't know why, but they did. Submission and authority. Why would they say yes when she said stop? Um, that's tonight's topic. And the scripture says that we are called, that the governing principle is stated in chapter 2, verse 13. And what is that governing principle? It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. To every authority instituted among men. There's numero uno right now. 
that's the boss. That's the guy we are to pray for and to obey as his role entails as president, not king. Uh, now, some of you are kind of excited about that, and some of you aren't very excited about that. And whether you're excited about it or whether you're unexcited about it doesn't really make any difference because the command is the same. God says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. So if you prefer George W., or if you like Bill Clinton, or if you like Obama the best, okay, whatever it is, it doesn't really make any difference because God is saying they are the authority that is instituted among men, and you are too, for the Lord's sake. Um, okay, let's take that apart a little bit. Okay, submit. Uh, submission means that you disagree and you go along in spite of your disagreement. When you agree with the authority, that is called agreement. Okay? <laughs> that is not I've I've heard I've actually heard people say this. I have no problem submitting, except when I disagree. <laughs> okay. That that's what submission is. The, the other thing is called agreement. Submission is when you submit to something that you don't agree with because an authority has given you a, a reasonable uh, command, whatever it is. So submit. And why do we submit? We submit for the Lord's sake. Because God says, I've instituted this position, and this position bears some of my authority. And so we respect that person, whoever it is that authority is. In, in essence, we're respecting God. God is invisible. Uh, we can say we respect him, but in so many ways it's tough to show that. And God says, here's one of the very visible ways you can show that you respect the God you can't see is by respecting the authorities you can see. And so we do it for the Lord's sake. Uh, again, every authority, not the ones I pick, not the ones that I like, not the ones that uh, agree with me, uh, but every authority that God has put over your life that, uh, that is instituted among men, whether it's, again, a mayor, a city council person, uh, a, a police officer, uh, whatever that authority is, uh, it's put there, uh, that authority has been put there by God. I wonder sometimes, this might be a blog question tonight, whether this is, uh, whether our culture has a unique problem with submission or whether this is just a universal challenge. And uh, sometimes it seems like in some cultures there isn't as big an issue, but I wonder. Because it seems like we're all pretty much made up of the same stuff. And the stuff I'm made of is, by nature, fairly rebellious. And, uh, and so you could think about that during blog time tonight, maybe. Well, why do we do this? I'm going to jump a little ahead in the text. But in the text, uh, uh, so we're going a little bit out of order, but there's a reason here. So I think this is where the motivation comes from. To this, that is submission, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, the example of Christ is given to us. And Christ, again, as, as he calls us to, to submit to authority, 
He's calling out of his own experience. This is the son submits to the will of the father. The son delights to do the will of the father. And so this is this is very, very important. Jesus, the book of Hebrews reminds us, was tested in every way that he were tested. He was tempted by the devil. Uh, he experienced life in just the way that you experience life, except without sin. Now I want you to remember this. That means when Jesus calls you to something, even something that seems as hard as submitting to an authority, Jesus is calling you to something that he has experienced and he has done. Jesus in the garden comes to the Father and pleads with the Father and says, Is there another way? He's begging the Father, Is there another way? And yet then the Son says, But not my will, but thine be done. And he submits to the Father. Think about that. Jesus from all eternity past knew what the path was and committed himself to that path. But even in that last moment, as he's experiencing in the flesh the testing of this final hour, he has to come to the Father and say, Are you, is this it? Is there any other way? And then he submits to the Father. And that's how he teaches us to pray, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus doesn't just tell us to pray that way. That's how Jesus prays. This is his example. And so we see, because Christ suffered for you, uh, Peter says, he trusted the Father. We can see his example of suffering and trust. Now, in that, I want to ask one short question. And it's this. Is it wrong to stand up for yourself? We're going to talk a lot about submission, and I want to give one disclaimer as we talk about submission. Uh, this is submission to authorities when they ask you rightfully to do something. Right? That's within, that's within their authority. Um, there are examples in the Bible where, where authorities ask people to do things that are ungodly or wrong. Uh, there are examples, again, where uh, the prime examples come in the, the book of Daniel, uh, where Daniel is told not to pray, and he says, I must pray. That's, uh, God uh, commands me to pray. If if the king tells me not to pray, I, I have to not do what the king says because God is my ultimate authority. Earlier in the book, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told that they must bow down to an idol. And they say, we won't bow down to an idol. We cannot do that. God is our ultimate authority. And so if, if you, the authority tells you to do something that God says not to do, or to not do something that God says you must do, then and then only you have the obligation and opportunity to say, we must obey God rather than men. But I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this very carefully. The Bible is very clear about submitting to authorities. And so if you're going to say, no, I must obey God rather than men, you better be able to open up the word, point scripture, chapter and verse, as to where God is commanding you to do what the authority is telling you not to do. Um, because the word of God is very clear on submitting to authorities. One other disclaimer. Um, we live in a world of a, a variety of forms of abuse where authorities abuse their power in a, in a number of ways. And, uh, and some of you uh, have been in situations where you've been abused. Uh, I was in a situation when I was a little bit younger than you in which I was abused by someone, an authority, a pastor. Because this authority, again, a pastor... Uh, that carried so much weight with me. 
uh, I didn't stand up to the abuse, and I didn't stop it the way that I wish I would have. And that was a wound that I, I carried around with me uh, for about 30 years until finally a situation arose where I needed to uh, deal with that. There's no doubt in a room this size that some of you have dealt with some kind of abuse in your life and something that, uh, that is very ugly. And I want you to hear a couple of things. Number one, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything to make the abuse happen to you. Uh, people can be wicked. Sin is very powerful. Uh, you didn't do anything wrong if you've been abused. But I want you to hear this as well. If you have been abused, the best way to push through that abuse is to understand the grace of God in Christ, that you didn't do anything wrong, and that uh, to bring that abuse in whatever way you can to begin to bring it to the light. So the power of that experience, whatever it is, begins to fade away. Don't take 30 years. Please, don't take 30 years. Find a, someone who you know you can trust and begin to unpack that. Because as we talk about submission and authority, sometimes the authorities do abuse their authority. And I want to acknowledge that. Back to the text. There are realms in which we are called to submit. The first one he addresses is submission to government. Submit to governors who are sent by, that is, God, to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brothers of the believers. Fear God. Honor the king. This is our calling, uh, to submit to government. And uh, as we think about that, it reminds me of my good friend Barney. <laughs> How many of you have watched a few episodes of uh, the Eat Show? That's right. That's right, Barney, it's me and my badge, and baby makes three. That's right, as he's got the gun with the one bullet that's not loaded. And uh, Barney is uh, Barney's a great example because uh, there isn't anything very fearful or making you want to respect Barney, but he bears this badge, and he represents uh, the law in Mayberry, right? And so uh, government, we are called to respect. Um, governments are ordained by God and called to represent him, uh, represent God to the people. And the mandates, uh, Peter says, and the rest of Scripture says, are basically these. This is the job government is supposed to do. Now, I'm not saying government can't do more than this, and government does do more than this. And, and government does some wonderful things. We're not going to debate politics tonight, whether it's good or bad, uh, uh, right wing, left wing. But these are the things that God says the government is absolutely mandated to do. And I want you to notice, the government is called by God, number one, to call punish evildoers. We punish people who do what is wrong. God, God wants uh, the world to know that evil will be punished. There's a day in which justice uh, will be, everyone will be held to account for justice. The second thing is actually kind of surprising. The government is there is to commend righteousness, commend those who do what's right. The government is actually called by God to say, that's good. Do that. 
which is kind of surprising because uh, that sounds like kind of a moral assessment, a moral judgment about what's good and what's bad. And God says that's a part of their calling, is to commend people who are doing the right thing. The third thing, again, just generally to promote the moral order in culture. Of course, if the, the job of government be involved in morality. Anyone who says you can't legislate morality uh, has no idea what they're talking about, because all legislation is, is morality. All legislation has some component of, of God's morality to it. The, the, the fourth thing that has to do with punishing evildoers is, is more subtle, but it's that we the government is called to portray God's justice. That when the government punishes somebody, it sends a message out to the world that says there is a day of accounting coming. And that day of accounting is the big day of accounting. And if we don't learn that lesson today in our lives in the simple ways, uh, the lesson will get harder uh, when that final judgment comes. And so this is an area in which we all, again, get to practice submission. He says, as we're practicing this, don't use it. Uh, don't use your freedoms as a means to, 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 to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You can think about that also in blog time. Uh, because oftentimes we, we, again, can abuse our freedoms. Uh, I was driving Bryson home from uh, college just a few weeks ago, and we almost made it. You know, uh, 14 out of the 15-hour drives, we're almost one hour left, we're almost home, and there's a little speed trap right at the uh, outskirts of Nebraska. And I'm, I, he's got me going 65 and a 45. And uh, actually, well, 60 and a 45. So I see the lights, and we turn over, and man, we almost made it home. And, uh, and I got to practice submission. I got to sit there and say, yes, sir. Did you know this? No, sir. Okay, hand me your stuff. Yes, sir. Uh, that's a part of all of our lives, right? Uh, I think sometimes you may be in a position being younger where you think, well, I guess, you know, I can't wait to get older where I get to the point where I don't have to submit anymore. Uh, you never get to that stage. Well, yeah, but you're a pastor. You're in charge of a whole church. Oh, yeah? You think so? Uh, it doesn't work that way. There are elders who run the church, and I'm one of those elders. And yeah, I have a lot of influence, but there have been many times when the elders have said, no, I think we need to do it this way, and I had to practice submission to them. Uh, there's never a point in your life where you don't have to submit. Well, now it gets to something really tricky, the submission of slaves. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and then you endure it, this is commendable before God. Uh, this is a very hard teaching. A hard teaching on the, the submission of slavery. And so we have to, again, deal with this carefully and make sure we understand exactly what the Bible is saying. Slavery in biblical times, again, was very, very different than the kind of slavery that was practiced in America or in England or in much of Africa and actually in much of the world today. Um, many of, how many of you would say that slavery is mostly a thing of the past? Okay, and you know where I'm headed with this. Actually, the evidence is pretty strong that slavery is just as big as it was 
100 or 200 years ago. In fact, it may be bigger than ever. Depending on which website you trust, uh, some fairly reliable websites estimate that around the world right now, and a lot of the slavery today is sex traffic slavery, uh, that people, again, are held against their will, doing jobs they do not want to do, and they're uh, one fairly reliable website, uh, uh, let me see the name of it here, um, is called Not For Sale, the Not For Sale campaign. It's kind of an international movement. They estimate that 27 million people are being held in slavery today. 27 million around the world. Um, that's a lot of people. Well, again, the, uh, in, the, in the biblical story, slaves could be taken in battle. They could be taken through poverty. They could be taken for security. There are reasons in which you could actually voluntarily become a slave. And in almost every situation, there was also a way in which you could earn money and you could purchase your freedom back uh, if you found yourself in such a position. But Moses is explicit in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, that no one is to take a slave by kidnapping. And of course, if you know the American version of slavery, the more modern version of slavery, that is the story, right? People are kidnapped. Uh, that's what's happening in the world today uh, through the sex slave trade. People are being kidnapped, held against their will. And uh, according to Moses, uh, this uh, is to be punished by the death penalty. It's to be punished by the death penalty if we abuse someone in this manner uh, by kidnapping them against their will and, uh, and, and using them uh, for that, any, any of those kinds of slavery. Now, as Peter writes, he's writing about the first kinds of slavery, where people find themselves in this situation, not because they've been kidnapped, and, uh, but they actually are serving. Again, it isn't like you're working for somebody, but it isn't like the kind of slavery that we've experienced in America. It's something in between. And he says, in this kind of a situation, he says, just <coughs> be a good servant. Work hard. Do what your master says. In fact, once in a while, you may even endure a beating. That may happen. Um, and uh, so there's a way to serve under rightful authority. There's a way to serve under wrongful authority. And by the way, this is the story of the scriptures. When you find yourself under wrongful authority, when you find yourself being abused, that's when you cry out to God, and God hears that cry. That's the story of the Exodus. The children of Israel got too comfortable in Egypt. They stayed, and eventually Moses made them slaves, and eventually Moses began, uh, excuse me, uh, Pharaoh Pharaoh began abusing the children of Israel, and when the children of Israel were under that kind of abusive slavery, they cried out to God, and God answered. And so the answer, again, if you're under wrongful authority, is to serve and to cry out to God. And uh, the scripture says he hears that cry. Uh, he is moved uh, by the cry of the widow uh, and the orphan and the oppressed. All right. Now we get to the really fun one. Submission of wives uh, to husbands. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your love. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past 
who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. He says, Sarah is an example. Do what Sarah did. Really? What did Sarah do? She laughed. God said, Sarah, you're going to bear a child. And, uh, and then the guests came to affirm this promise, the angelic visitors. And Sarah laughed. God made a promise and Sarah laughed. And then the angels caught her, called her on it, and said, you laughed. She said, no, I didn't. And then she lied about laughing. Why does the Bible tell that story? I've been reading a book by Jerem Bars called Through His Eyes. It's about some of the women in the Bible. And one of the great things that Bars pointed out in that book, all throughout the book, is that two things I want you to see. Sarah is a deeply broken person. She doesn't get it all right. She messes up. She makes a ton of mistakes. And, and as I approach the story of Sarah or other people from the Bible who serve as examples for us in a variety of ways, I'm not following the example of perfect people. They're not perfect. They're just like me. They're broken. They make mistakes. They laugh when they should be believing God's promise. But she's also an example. What an amazing thing. God uses broken people like you and me to do his work. Um, she was working hard for a way for the seed of Eve to continue. God made a promise through Eve that, uh, that a, a, a child would be born who would defeat the devil. And she continues on this hope of a promise. She wants to bear a child, earnestly wants to bear a child. She'll do whatever it takes to bear a child. Um, and in particular, she did as her husband asked. Her husband said, okay, we're going into a prickly situation. Uh, just, and she happened to be his half-sister, which was, again, a different time in history and, and what was permissible at that time. And he says, as we go in here, just, just say you're my sister. And so I want you to think about this. Abraham says, okay, go with this other king and just be his wife and just tell him you're my sister Okay, go. Really? What? Go be a part of this king's harem? And, and I got to be your sister again? I thought we went through that before. Now we're going to do it again? You've got to be kidding me. And she did it. She did what Abraham said. How much faith does that take? Say, he's my husband? Okay, I'll go. I'll go. And the Bible commends her. Peter commends her to us, all of us, and especially the prospective wives in this group, as an example. Sarah, do what she did. She is commended to us as an example because she did not give way to fear. See, and that's the issue with submission, isn't it? I'm afraid that if I put myself under this authority, I'm afraid that I'm going to be abused. That they're going to abuse that authority. Right? That's what the fear is. And so you've got to deeply trust God. Again, not doing something that God says uh, he forbids 
uh, or anything like that, but, uh, but trusting God in that circumstance. Sarah is a broken person, but she's an example. And so wives are called to submit to their husbands. Um, just as the son submits to the father, uh, so the wife submits to the husband. Uh, Tim Keller put it this way. He said that we all get to portray Christ in marriage. Uh, the wife gets to portray Christ in the way that Christ submits to the father. Uh, the husband gets to portray Christ in the way that the, 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 uh, the father, excuse me, the son loves his bride, the church. And so everyone gets to portray Jesus uh, just in a slightly different way. And uh, so wives are called to submit to their husbands. What does that not mean? Submission is not inferiority. Submission does not mean passivity. Again, the Bible doesn't say what kind of a conversation Sarah and Abraham had. But I imagine they had a few words. Especially during that second go-round. I imagine they had to discuss this a little bit. And yet uh, she, again, history says she did what her husband had. It is not inferiority, it is not uh, passivity. Submission is a joyful yielding and the affirmation of the husband's portrayal of Christ. And so that's the role that women get to play in marriage. Uh, and there's this last little segment that's somewhat troubling. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Uh, two things I want you to notice. The first thing is that husbands are called not to abuse their authority in the marriage relationship because they have this kind of authority. In fact, if that is the case, Peter says it's going to hinder your prayers. Uh, you need to be very respectful and gracious in the way that you uh, use that authority. I would say, again, uh, my understanding of marriage is, uh, is that of a partnership. And uh, there are times in that partnership where decisions have to be made, they can't be delayed, and that God, again, uh, holds the husband accountable for those decisions. Even if the husband says, well, I'm just going to do what my wife says to do, in the scriptures, the head is still held accountable. Eve sinned, Adam sinned. The whole New Testament talks exclusively about Adam's sin because he was her head. He was held accountable for that sin. And so there, there is this role relationship that plays out through all of Scripture from the very beginning with Adam and Eve and all the way to the very end with Christ and the church who submits, the bride who submits to Christ. And you get to be a part of, if you're married someday, you get to be a part of portraying that. Uh, so husbands, do not abuse that, but be considerate. Then there's a second thing. I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, as the weaker partner, that's not politically correct, is it? What, what in the world does that mean? I've wrestled with those over the years, and I, I'm pretty confident that I know what it means. Work with me here. Um, what does it mean? <laughs> so, I married a strong woman. <laughs> very strong woman what does it mean that uh, that the wife is the weaker partner okay let's just kind of work through this a little bit in what way 
weaker. In what way could you say of every marriage in every situation, from the beginning to the very end, the woman is a weaker partner? Okay, so let's just start ticking down the options here. Intellectually? Well, that's just stupid. <laughs> okay? So uh, that's, uh, I'm not even going to begin to discuss that. Uh, but that's just, uh, and uh, I don't want to hear the women say an amen to that. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's good. Okay, but now, okay, we kind of got that obvious one out of the way. Let's move on to something harder. Yeah, emotionally. Yes. I mean, I've heard some people say that over the years. You know, well, you know, women are more emotional and, and men are more tough and stoic and they know how to, okay, you've been around me long enough. You think that one works for me? No. I'm far more emotional than my wife. <laughs> I, I'm like, you know, I, I see a wounded rabbit. That's just the way I'm, I'm, I'm much more uh, emotional. And I think if we, uh, again, went around the room, we'd find that actually whether you're emotional uh, or not has very little to do uh, with uh, male-female, at least in a, in, a, in a strong, strong way. Okay, so check, check, third check. And this is the one that seems to be very popular and say, well, but, you know, women aren't as strong physically as men. And men, men can dominate women physically, right? I don't know. Have you met some women? <laughs> pretty, I mean, I've seen some. They could take me, you know. There was one. There was one couple in our church, and he passed away of cancer. But uh, I mean, his 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 wife is very sturdy, you know. And uh, is that a nice way of saying it? She's she's a strong woman, you know. And we used to kind of uh, uh, you know lean over once in a while and say, you know, I think she could take him. And I think she I think she could. So, I mean, they're, okay, generally speaking, I understand men are, are, are generally a little bit more physically strong, but, you know, okay, if Superman and Superwoman got into it, who's really going to win, you know? Superwoman? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> Superwoman would cheat. <laughs> she would. That's what I'm trying to say. She's a big man. I was out of trouble. Yeah, right back into it. No, Okay. So, wrong, wrong, yes, wrong. There's only one way in which a woman is always uh, the weaker partner, okay? And that's positionally in marriage, because that's the way God made it. Because God doesn't ask husbands to submit to wives, he asks wives to submit to husbands. Positionally. What is that like to be in that position where Sarah has to say, okay, Abraham, I'll do it your way again. What must that be like? That's the weaker partner. And, and God says in that position that he has put women in in the marriage relationship, Again, to, to don't fear. That's why he says don't fear. This, this is a fearful thing to be put in a situation where you think you may be taken advantage of. You may, you may have to go along with Abraham when you don't think the plan is so good. And, and he tells husbands to be considerate. And he tells husbands to love their 
wives, the way that Christ loves the church, to not be domineering, to not lord it over, um, but we're called to serve, to serve the way Jesus served. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you this day for your kindness and mercy to us in Christ. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand uh, what it means uh, to live in a world in which we must submit to authorities and do it joyfully. Uh, Father, we are so grateful that you have put before us not just the example of Sarah, which is a wonderful example, but you have set before us the very example of your son, who in the moment of his greatest pain and agony, not only asked if there was another way, but then submitted his will to that of the Father and did it with joy. Father, we thank you that our Savior was tested in every way that we are tested and yet without sin. And so when we pray to him, when we pour our hearts out to him, when we cry out, he knows. He knows what we are feeling. And he intercedes on our behalf with deep empathy.